Hello and welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's simple. Kill the Batman. Frankly, my hair, I don't give a damn. It's podcast number 16 from the BBFC. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. We are going to squeeze in a couple of more podcasts uh, before the end of 2013. So this is the penultimate and we'll get 17 out in December, perhaps the beginning of January. And uh, yeah, why do we do this? I think it's a good time just to think about the fact that we are a transparent organisation here in Soho Square. And this podcast is our way really of letting film fans understand a bit more about the process, how it works get behind the scenes. We've talked about the issues over the last uh, couple of years and you can go back through our back catalogue. All our podcasts are available uh, on the website and hear about uh, violence and drugs and imitable techniques and sex and language, how we deal with them at different uh, categories and in different genres. And occasionally we delve under the bonnet and that's what we're going to be doing in this podcast. It's going to be, I think, a real behind the scenes podcast about the BBFC because my co-host, is a man called Dave Barrett. Hello, James. I, I, I feel I should call you Dave Boy Barrett because you're, you're like the, <laughs> the man who never grows old, the boyish looks. Yep, man and boy BBFC. And you've been here, man and boy. So, Absolutely. Dave, you are the Chief Operating Officer of the BBFC. It's a modern title, but you're, you're Head of Process, effectively. You're the man in charge of the process, aren't you, Dave? That's right. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that, what it takes to get a film classified. We'll talk about how much it costs, what type of classification process there are, and the way it's changed as our main chunk in the podcast later but to start off with as you alluded to man and boy mm. basically you're a baby in swaddling clothes dropped at the doorstep of soho square it's been said many a time yeah when how old were you when you joined i joined the board at uh, at the 17 age which uh, which was obviously three months shy of my 18th birthday and looking back now it's it's really funny that um at the period obviously you're, you're a 17 year old at the bbfc Anytime anything 18 rated went on in the, in the office, it was kid. They used to call me kid. Kid, <laughs> out you go. You can't stay here for that. So you were sent out of the room when I 18 clips came I was literally sent on. out of the room, yeah. yeah. So rather than sort of peer through the door and, and try to see what I was missing out on, which mostly wasn't much, um, I would go off around the office and pester people to find out what they were doing and all that kind of stuff. And, and in some ways, that gave me the kind of grounding that I've got to, to have done all the jobs I've done at the board in that time to elevate me to the state that the job that I'm doing now so and the organization's benefited from a few people who've, who've put in some long service but yep. I guess from your point of view because you started so young you're sort of you're in your prime now Dave aren't you but you understand the industries I think you've got a foot in both camps I think you're you're the closest person to the industry to the film industry inside the building in my view yeah I I, I, I would agree with that um, in the early days of the board um, obviously when the video recordings that came into play uh, we were dealing with a lot of work that we weren't doing a few years ago when we were just doing the film. Um, so service wasn't kind of at the, the forefront of our thinking. It was just, you know, well, how do we cope with this workload? Which we eventually did. And obviously the system develop and um, processes change. Um, masses has, has changed in that period. And, and yeah, my, I, someone said to me once, Dave, um, you know, where do you stand on this? I said, well, actually, I stand with the industry on this because mm. for me, we need to be focusing on what we need to, you know, we're a service. At the end of the day, we are a service and we want to be able to provide a fantastic service to those people. And that's um, what my, my kind of mantra is now. Okay, well, we'll talk about the detail of that a bit later. And it is really interesting how that all uh, unfolds. Um, but we, as always, going to pick out a couple of news items, things that I've noticed of uh, classification interest. And one of them is the scariest film ever. Did you see this? 
Um, this was the scariest film ever. It was measured. You always get these polls. Every three months, somebody does, you know, top horror films or whatever. But this was measured using heart rate monitors okay. on a fairly large sample size. Mm-hmm. And the the scariest film of all time? Exorcist. That was number two. Oh, okay. The Shining. Oh. It was the Here's Johnny moment. Apparently, the heart rate jumped by 28% wow. during that particular moment. We also had on the list A Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. Ring, the Japanese version, Alien. I was really pleased with Aliens, one of the great yeah. tense yeah. films of yeah. all time. Silence of the Lambs, Poltergeist, Insidious, mm-hmm. late entry, uh, Halloween and Saw. So okay. A few notable absences there, but uh, anyway, take make of it what you will. Okay, our interview. Well, we've got an industry-themed podcast uh, for this edition, and uh, to keep that going, I have been speaking to a man called Phil Clapp. Now, he's the chief executive of the Cinema Exhibitors Association. Uh, this is basically the organisation that looks after the interests of cinemas and cinema owners. And I started by asking Phil what his role with cinemas actually is. Okay, so the CEA is is the trade body for UK cinema operators. So we represent not just the big guys that are familiar to everyone, such as Odeon View and Cineworld, but also a very long tail of about 150 smaller operators across the UK, quite often in areas where there are no big pockets of population. But our work broadly divides into three categories. There's what you might call advocacy, which is, you know, kind of promoting the cinema sector, be it with with the media, be it with the public, quite often be it with politicians. There's also a, a strand of work which is around what you might call kind of lobbying and legislation. So either Um, lobbying government, be that national, regional or often European government uh, on particular issues. We find ourselves more often than not lobbying government not to do things rather than to do things. Um, But also at the other end of the lobbying and legislation, quite often we find ourselves interpreting regulations and legislation, particularly for our smaller members, so they have an understanding of what the requirements are. And and then the third strand, which is really where our involvement with the BBFC comes in, is working across the industry on things like classification, on things like film theft, etc. We we like to see ourselves, and I think we truly are, a a, a strong partner of colleagues in production and distribution, as well as other organisations working in the cinema space, such as the BBFC. You're looking at cinemas, understanding the classification system, ensuring that it works appropriately i mean it's illegal it's against their licensing conditions mm-hmm. isn't it if they fail to do that sure is this an ongoing campaign with cinemas with you or is this something cinemas do pretty well themselves i think i think you know cinemas do it for the most part very well themselves there are occasional issues which arise so for example we've had instances in the last couple of years where film distributors have produced two different versions of trailers a 12a and a 15 version and, and sometimes the cinemas haven't been aware of that and, and by accident have, have, have wrongly programmed. And, and the moment we're made aware of that through the BBFC or otherwise, we will alert that cinema and alert members so everyone's mindful of that. But cinemas are, are you know, I, I, they, they, they probably would see themselves more as the kind of front line than enforcers of this. They basically, they see their role as, as both to police the classification to ensure that audiences are limited or restricted according to the classification of the film, because you're quite right, that is part of their licensing conditions from the local authority. But also I think, you know, increasingly we've worked with the BBFC around um, informing and educating audiences so they can make informed choices, particularly parents, around the type of content which is likely to be in a film. So what was the extended 
uh, customer advice from the BBFC and now is BBFC Insight. I think it's hugely useful to box office staff, for example, because they're able to explain to parents quite often what it might be that they're allowing their child to see. And, and quite often the kind of things which are uh, although the classification system works very well, there'll be, you know, for example, I know from personal experience, I've got a friend who's got a child who's who's terrified of gnomes. Mm. And so, you know, if they'd went to see Gnomeo and Juliet, for example, while on the surface that seems fairly benign, they would have had nightmares for weeks. Yeah. So essentially the, 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 the BBFC insight allows, you know, a greater understanding what the child is like to encounter and we can avoid those kind of... Uh, Incidents. There's a perfect line in our guidelines that says it's impossible to judge what may upset a particular child, Absolutely. which uh, gets us uh, around Absolutely. that point. And, and that's not to mean that you know parents don't have often unreal expectations in terms of the BBFC and this, that particular cinema, knowing exactly what the trigger yeah. is which will upset their child. Yeah, and hence the BBFC insight is so useful. Yeah, it's another uh, friend of ours, child Fatso, an examiner here, his child's school had a fire. And so for his child, fire was a particular issue. And he was, there was one particular film, Bolt, mm-hmm. uh, which had a fire sequence in it. And he knew not to take his son to see it, even though it was a, otherwise a PG. So sure. you're right. Having that bit of extra information is very useful. And, and, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's by no means limited to, to children. You know, within the last year or so, there, there are issues that are occasionally kind of actually difficult to foresee. So there was a film called The Impossible, which came mm-hmm. out, I think, at the beginning of this year, about the tsunami uh, in, in Southeast Asia. And... The trailer for the film, which I think was classified at a PG, so was, you know, quite benign, clearly for those who either were survivors of the tsunami or who had lost people in the tsunami, was, was a very emotive issue. And so sometimes it's quite difficult to prejudge these issues. It's not an exact science in any way, shape or form, but I think through dialogue and communication, that's the best way that we can continue to inform our judgment on these things. Now, Phil, there has been some discussion about the Licensing Act and how cinemas, how the whole infrastructure works. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, I mean, none of us can prejudge what's in the mind of ministers at the moment, but do you have a view on whether cinemas could be set up in a different way, perhaps outside the framework of licensing? It seems slightly odd to argue this, but as a trade body, we're actually supportive of this regulation in, 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 a, in a number of respects. First of all, it establishes as much as possible a level playing field in terms of the requirements and expectations of cinema operators. But also, I think perhaps more importantly, it gives our, our customers and our potential customers uh, a sense of reassurance in terms both of the both of the, the the physical environment, but also in terms of issues around kind of public protection in terms of what what is likely to be on the screen. And I think you know we have found ourselves arguing strangely against government we're, we're very much as a, as a trade body and by by no means do as i said do we just represent the big guys we represent a significant number of smaller operators who would potentially benefit from deregulation but even they are adamant that the current system works well it's understood and their fear is that any deregulation be it of however defined community venues or film societies will result in a in a growth in what you might call kind of backstreet cinemas. So people, you know, in a room in a pub, for example, showing a film quite often without the right right rights licensing, quite often without the control on who is moving in and out of that room to see that film. But also I think there's there's an understanding that at a time when the industry has made massive investment in, in technology, you know, the, the, the change we've made over the last two or three years to digital technology has cost the industry as a whole £150 million. It, there couldn't be a worse time to essentially kind of pull the rug out from under the industry in terms of allowing a laissez-faire, act, laissez-faire attitude at the bottom of the market. 
Okay, you talked about keeping uh, government and EU perhaps at arm's length uh, from the industry. What sort of threats of legislation have you seen off? You know, we're always mindful, I think, of the political cycle. So we're we're just about to enter the kind of slightly free, febrile period before an election. So we're expecting, you know, politicians to try and outbid each other and how tough they can be on certain public health issues. In the last couple of years, not, not involving colleagues in the BBFC, but more generally, we've been uh, engaged in, in, a, in a sometimes spiky dialogue with the Department of Health on soft drinks in cinemas. You know, that they, that there, there are certain people in the Department of Health who would like to ban large cup sizes, as the mayor of New York attempted and failed to do two or, two or three years ago. Um, our argument was, has, has been one based primarily around customer choice, but again around the fact that, you know, the average person goes to the cinema two to three times per year. Um, you know, they would have to base themselves within full-fat Coca-Cola mm-hmm. for the entire duration to have any effect on their calorific intake. But there's no parallel action, for example, against the big supermarket selling three-litre bottles of full-fat Coke. And there's a sense sometimes that cinema is a kind of uh, a sector which is big enough to take on and make an example of, but not so big that it scares the politicians. And I think we're always, you know, mindful of the fact that, you know, basically sometimes we're seen as a bit of a soft touch in terms of regulation. Well, I like the way cinemas try to limit our intake of uh, Coke by charging £4.50 or £6.80 yes, yes. for I a, mean, a glass. A I've, I've been in the job six years now, and, and hardy perennials are the cost of popcorn and soft drinks, the cost of tickets. Good. Well, I don't want to sound negative about cinemas, because I have to say, I mean, I, for me and lots of people in this building, I think going to the cinema is, an almost, is a very romantic experience, and it still is. And I actually think, when I think back to when I was a kid in the late 70s, what cinemas were like then, I love the spacious seats you get mm-hmm. now, the leg space you get, um, you know, the convenience of, of film choice. I think we're in a bit of a golden age of cinema at the moment, the physical experience for me. And I know we can we can moan a bit about it, so I just wanted to, to say, for me, I yeah, think it's, I, cinema I, I, still fantastic. I think that, you know, inevitably, people tend to be kind of slightly kind of falsely nostalgic. I mean, the story of UK cinema is that, you know, 1946, there were 1.6 billion cinema admissions. You know, there were 40 million people in the country. Wow. And... Literally, cinema was people's window on the world. News, weather, current affairs, everything, they went to the cinema. You know, with those kind of numbers, you believe they did nothing but went to the cinema. And then with the, with the growth of home te- television in the home uh, and with home entertainment to a degree, the industry essentially went into a, a bit of a tailspin, such that in 1984, we dropped to 55 million admissions. And, you know, I, I know from personal experience and certainly from all the accounts at the time, going to the cinema then was a fairly grim experience. You know, there was no investment in the sector. Um, many, many cinemas at that time converted to bingo halls or, or started to become sex cinemas, to be honest. Um, and it was, and, and they, get a, they get a bad press from, from certain people, but it was actually the arrival of the multiplex which was the saviour of the cinema centre. So the first multiplex opened of all places in Milton Keynes in 1984. Uh, and it was that investment, not just overseas investment, but also domestic investment, which really allowed us to kick on from then. And as I say, over the last few years, admissions have stabilised. And, you know, the glass is half empty view is that, you know, in a time when there's been significant investment, both in the infrastructure and the technology, you know, we should have done better. But I think the glass is half full, full view, which is the one I naturally take, is that, you know, that's been during a time of significant economic upheaval. And so to hold on to our audience and to continue to, you know, kind of offer 
what for the most part remains, I mean, I, I take the criticism at times, but remains the kind of gold standard experience of watching film mm. is an achievement. But I think we're ambitious for more. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good note to, uh, to wrap up on, Phil. Thank you very much indeed for coming in. Um, it's been, uh, you're obviously a man who knows his subjects and, and you look after an important part of our lives, the cinemas. So, uh, yeah, keep Thank going. You. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was Phil Clapp talking to me earlier. Okay, well, let's talk in more detail then about the process. And I guess we'll start with the obvious question is how you get a bit of work classified. And there are lots of people every week who do something for the first time. In this day and age, anyone could pick up a video camera and make a, a documentary or a short film. How do they go about getting it classified? Yeah, it's very straightforward. Um, a customer would uh, sign up to our extranet service, which is a, a business-to-business tool where um, they would create a submission uh, and gives the details of that submission. Um, they would then supply the content, which could be either a DVD, um, but also we now accept MPEG-4 files for Video Recordings Act work. Um, they submit that content, and um, if the payment's in place for us to, to, to go on to view it, it gets viewed. Pay up front? Pay up front. Um, we, 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 uh, it's, uh, as a non-profit organisation, it's important that we have to cover that kind of uh, mm. risk. Obviously, before the mid-80s, it was just film and had been that way for 70 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, and you were here for that period. Just joined at that just period. Just joined at that period. Yeah. 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 Suddenly, a video changed everything for us. It did, it did. Uh, film, we were, uh, the, the board was quite small. It was based over two floors. There were around 400, 500 films a year. Video came along and all of a sudden that 500 turned into 4,000 because uh, 3,500 videos were coming in. And the, 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 you know, the, the BBFC exploded in terms of resources and, and more people and, and so on. Um, and yeah, between around 85 to 89, 3,500 videos a year. Uh, and then DVD started to emerge, and obviously with a DVD enabled to, to carry more content than a, a VHS, um, our workload increased even more, drastically in fact. Um, peaked in 2006 when we, we did 15,000 video works in, in, in a year. Um, but that's when the market became saturated um, mm. and, and there was a decline, and that decline is still happening now. The rate of decline has gone down in terms of it's, it's slowed down. Um, last three years we've averaged 9,000 DVDs. Uh, this year we'll probably end up doing about 8,500. And whilst the DVD submissions have gone down, in the last few years, film has rocketed up again. Fantastic, yeah. Fil- film is, is, is uh, it's, it's again, this is down to digital cinema. Uh, it's made it a lot easier to get content um, and cheaper to get content to, to screen. And um, it will be the case that, that by the end of 2013, we'd have classified over a thousand cinema features. And that's not happened since 1961. So wow. before I was born, James, but maybe not yourself. Um, but um, before, yeah, it's, before it's, it's booming. And, and when we look at the kind of, you know, we look at the, the emerging markets there, um, event cinema has become quite prevalent, you know, operas, ballets, sports events. And also we found that um, with video on demand deals, um, sometimes uh, these platforms are one of their criteria for getting on their video on demand platform is that the film's played in the cinema. So some companies are using the cinema to showcase their home end content. So, yeah, that's. And we call that a platform release, don't we? So you end up watching fairly low budget films that might have a niche audience, but yeah. they get a, a basic cinema release. Yeah. That's just it. to qualify for yeah. that uh, video yeah. on demand service. Yeah. Six screens in some cases. I think that's the. It yeah. needs to play six screens and then it'll go on. Okay. Um, and. We've changed more. I mean, I joined in 2006, so I joined at that peak and um, we were doing a lot of video works but hadn't really 
changed the basic service since the mid 80s I don't think but suddenly between 2006 and where we are today the digital revolution has happened which has again had quite a major impact hasn't it you mentioned the accepting mp4 files that's yeah. quite a big thing now isn't it you it's, don't have to bring in a physical media anymore yeah it's it's uh, the biggest change since we started except we moved sort of evolved from VHS to DVD so it's it's uh, um, in, in fact it's we, we had to get government approval because under the video recordings actually you have to hold a physical product in your archive in your statutory archive um, and obviously the way the industry was going and the way the world's changing um, you know we, we had to get down the file route so um, we, we had to seek approval from government to get there and having got that green light and, and having worked with a, a host of trial partners with the industry we, um, we, we were now accepting MPEG-4 files for video classification and um, for, from from you know the trial point of view and from our point of view, it's for our customers. It's it's much cheaper. It's much much faster, and it's more secure because um, you know there's no middleman handling a piece of content to give to the BBFC. Um, so it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a new age of video classification, and we're we're delighted to start doing it. When it comes to the just just to say, James, mm. sorry, when it comes to the um, the MPEG four files, mm. obviously we, we're using the file transfer um, process to receive those files. So once they're um, given to us uh, that uh, by by the customer, we pull them into our systems and uh, encrypt them to a level that's above um, top secret. Um, so if anyone searches, cool. Wiki, above top secret. secret. That sounds like above the, top the name of yeah, a film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Above yeah, top yeah. secret. Yeah. So it's it's uh, and, and held in our statutory archive for you know forever and a day. Um, but um, yeah, really important that we're careful with the security. The Video Recordings Act talks about physical media, but the Act doesn't cover where a lot of the films are going, which is to video on demand um, and download to own, for instance, and migration away from that. But you've also you've been. I, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but you oversee the BBFC's move into that market, don't you? The kind of voluntary side of it, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Um, in 2008, obviously when we saw the internet and what it was going to offer, the consumer in terms of receiving or watching goods uh, content over um, you know, the internet, um, there's no statute in place there. There's no video recordings act. So the industry came to the BBFC and said, you know, we we want to be in a position where we are still using your protection online. Uh, we want to be able to offer the consumer what they receive now in the in the um, physical world. Can you help us to develop a service um, um, for online? And of course, absolutely, no problem for us at all. So. Um, over the years now, we've you know since since two thousand eight, we've now developed a service which we call Watch and Rate. Uh, Watch and Rate enables a customer to supply content to us um, in whichever form they want to. You know, we're not precious in that respect, and um, we will offer a rating for online. And our in our research um, that we did in two thousand eleven, eighty five percent of the public want. Uh, consistent ratings for video video on demand content and then when it comes to parents of under 16s that rises to 90 percent and it is the case that watching rate is our fastest growing area of business and um, we're around 140 percent up on the same time last year in terms of examined minutes for that so that's so growing exponentially at the moment it is yeah. it is yeah yeah it is so it's um and it's um you offer it as a cheaper service let's talk about costs yeah so here's, i often get asked is how much does it cost to classify a feature film so i've got a two-hour thriller that I've made that's called Above Top Secret <laughs> with Sly in it um, and uh, how much does it cost to get that classified for the cinema for the cinema okay cinema's charged at £7 a minute plus £100 fixed charge £840 if that then came in on um, when it does come in on video yeah um, 
we, we still have to see it under statute, but because we've seen it on film, we offer a discount okay. for that. So, so that's seventy-five uh, percent uh, of of the the fixed of, of the video fee. Um, so it's about a thousand pounds, just under a thousand pounds to get a two-hour feature film done with the fixed fee involved. I guess it's going to be about seven fifty eight hundred then for the DVD version of it. Well, video comes in a bit cheaper. That's six pounds a minute. Oh, okay. So it might be sort of five fifty or something. It's around five fifty is around, yeah. around the average for video. It's worth saying at this point, actually, in the time that I've been at the board, we haven't put our prices up. In fact, we put them down in one year, and so as costs. It becomes increasingly competitive in the market. We have become a cheaper part of that process, haven't we? We have, James. Um, we haven't changed our fees for seven years. Mm. And when you take account of inflation over that period, it in effect becomes a 20% reduction in fees. Now, our focus is on, um, you know, we want to keep our costs as low as possible. And we've implemented lots and lots of efficiency uh, changes. So, so we've been able to hold those costs down. And um, it becomes more challenging, obviously, as time come, goes on, because you, you're looking for the next efficiency saving and, and, and so on. But, um, yeah, we're, we're very proud of the fact that we've not done that. And in addition to, in real terms, lowering the price of getting a film classified, we've also given some price breaks for things like 2D and 3D when the film's the same. Yeah, we do. We offer a discount there. In fact, um, for if you have a 3D version of a film and then you've got a 2D um, within the, the, the DCP there's a file for the 2D2 um, then it's just a basic um, fixed charge there's no viewing charge for that because we don't view it um, and works that supplied for modern classification so the you know the double A's and the X's of yesteryear coming in for a, a new release some period later um, we, we offer a 50% price on that too so there are a few discounts in place and, um, and we've recently um, <coughs> introduced a, a brand new uh, tariff for, um, for student short films. So films that are less than 40 minutes as defined by the Academy and by BAFTA. Um, for, for students or filmmakers that are affiliated to a funding scheme, uh, we're offering uh, a, a very, very cheap price for those guys to get their uh, you know, full BBFC black card experience um, at uh, a knockdown rate. Okay. Um, I want to finish off then talking about our relationship with the industry. Do they see us as a, a necessary but difficult hurdle to go through or do they? is it a more cooperative relationship now? We've done a lot of research here. We actually go out to, to, to independent researchers who talk to our customers to provide feedback for us on what we can do better and what we might change, etc. Um, one quote that stands out for me, uh, and I'm not crowing, but it's uh, the BBFC, it's, it's like a night and day change. We our customers at the forefront of our thinking now for um, anything that we you know we do in relation to the work we do for them the service we provide so um, no we, we we seek feedback independently through these researchers we've got uh, the industry forums that I mentioned as well um, we also go out one-to-one -one with customers when we do our new services such as the digital VRA trial we go out to our customers and ask them we set up an industry par uh, working party for them to tell us what they wanted us to do so whereas before it was very much a, a navel gazing exercise today it's completely the opposite and um, you know for me long may that continue Dave, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. It's really interesting to hear, hear this kind of under the bonnet yeah. uh, side of the BBFC. I hope it's been of interest to, uh, to the listeners as well. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at BBFC. You'll find me on Twitter as well if you look hard enough. Uh, you can email us podcast at bbfc.co.uk. Many thanks to our editor, Catherine Anderson. And we will be back for one more of 2013. Thank you for listening. It's Tuttle downstairs, who to worry, eh?
Tuttle? His name's Buttle. There must be some mistake. 